0: You can turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, We're gonna be in chapter 31 today. Um, And uh, some of you probably have uh, what you may label as like go-to Bible verses. Uh, texts of scripture that you frequent, that you find yourself either reading or meditating upon often. Uh, I know I do. And one of those that's on my short list is and I reference even here fairly often is the from the book of Psalms, Psalm 90 verse 12. And I particularly think of it when birthdays come around which I legitimately turned 39 a couple days ago. The one and only time I, I turned 39 in my life. Uh, but when birthdays roll around I think of this verse uh, when days like fathers they come i think of this verse but uh, in psalm 90:12, 12 uh, we have this recorded in scriptures this prayer that was embedded in that song teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom uh, and I so appreciate that psalm and that verse uh, because it contemplates, if you read the whole psalm, it contemplates the brevity of life, like how short it is. It even contemplates and discusses the difficulty of life, that it's painful, that it's hard, that it's not just uh, roses and sunshine, that there's Shortness, there's painfulness to it. But it also, even in that verse 12, uh, Moses, who is the author of it, is asking that as he considers this, the heaviness of life, the shortness of life, he's asking that it would have a certain effect on him, uh, that, that it would uh, give him a heart of wisdom, that as God's people contemplate those things, that it would give us a heart of wisdom uh, that, that we need as human beings. We lack focus, we lack proper priorities. And when we just live under the illusion that I have all the time in the world, Uh, we don't prioritize the right things. We don't emphasize the right things. We're just thinking of the here and now, living in the moment. But that verse calls us to number our days and to gain a heart of wisdom, asking God to give us a heart of wisdom as we do because death is coming for us and time is limited, right? Whether we acknowledge it or not and much is at stake with how we use whatever few or many days and years that God gives us. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And In today's text, we're going to look at most all of Deuteronomy 31 other than the very final verse. Pastor Larry will wrap that into his text next week. Uh, but we're going to look at the first 29 verses of Deuteronomy 31 today. Uh, we're actually going to get to read many of the words of Moses, uh, the one who wrote Psalm 90. If you, if you didn't know that, the one who wrote, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That was expressed by Moses saying, I need to know the shortness of my life so I can focus, I can prioritize the right things so I can live wisely. That was written by Moses and what we're gonna read today is we're gonna see that being fleshed out, lived out in real life uh, as he's getting literally to the end of his days. He knows how many days are left, God has told him. uh, And he knows how much is left and you see his heart for the people coming behind him uh, in time, that he wants to look out for them and that is what wisdom is gonna look like for him as he comes to the end of his days is not just thinking, what can I squeeze in here, but trying to prepare the people who will outlast him, the people who will live beyond him, his children, his, his uh children's peers his grandchildren and their peers he cares for them so where we come today you're going to see even as i start to read it that moses is at the very end of his life he is 120 at this point in time probably by 40 years or so he's the oldest israelite left Uh, he he is ancient in their terms he's 120. Uh, they have been as we've seen throughout the book of deuteronomy the israelites who he's been leading for 40 years uh, they're on the edge of Canaan, about to finally go into the promised land, about to cross the Jordan River and go in and fight for the land that God has promised. But God has told Moses numerous times, you are not going in. Like you are going to die this side of the Jordan and they're going to go in. And this is, that's going to be stated and you're going to see some of the priorities in Moses' life as he comes to these very end moments of his life. And we're going to see he's not just coasting He's not just uh, trying to run hard to the end. He is trying to prepare the people Coming behind him. So as I read this, I'd encourage you to, to listen for the things that Moses is going to be leaving behind. The things that are going to outlast him. There's going to be a few. We'll even find three of them, I think, after we read this. Three things that Moses is going to leave behind him as a legacy to impact the people coming behind him. So see if you can listen for some of those uh, and guess what they may be as I read through this. So follow along with me, Deuteronomy 31, verses 1-29. to 29. So we have this recorded under the inspiration of the Spirit. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, "'I am 120 years old today. "'I am no longer able to go out and come in. "'The Lord has said to me, "'You shall not go over this Jordan. "'The Lord your God himself will go over before you. "'He will destroy these nations before you "'so that you shall dispossess them, "'and Joshua will go over at your head.'" as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that, that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel and their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold the days approaching when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel, put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring for i know that they are inclined or i know what they are inclined to do even today before i've brought them into the land that i swore to give so moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of israel and the lord commissioned joshua the son of nun and said be strong and courageous for you shall bring the people of israel into the land that i swore to give them i will be with you When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord much in here. Uh, I want to summarize today's message from this text this way. is that As we think about the end of Moses' time of leading Israel and what we can learn from it, I, I'd summarize it this way, is that godly leaders don't just leave their post, they leave a legacy. Like they don't just leave their post and try to just leave it unharmed. They, they should have a goal. They should have an aim. Any leader of God's people should have an aim uh, to serve the people after them. Uh, To to serve the people who are coming behind them in time. Uh, It is not just the aim of a Christian leader uh, to cross the finish line as if it's an individual race, right? But to pass the baton to the next generation, the next group of people. It's not an individual sprint, but a a group race where there's God's people that are coming down in time that leaders have a responsibility For not just to care for the people in front of them, right? That they can see with their own eyes that are in front of them right now, but they have a responsibility to prepare the people who will follow them right? that follow them in time. Uh, They have a responsibility for that, and you see that in Moses' heart here as he comes to the end of his life, that he is seeking, uh, as complex as it is, he's seeking to leave a legacy, not just to end well and die and and be forgotten, so to speak, but to leave a legacy that can continue, to to pass down things, to pass down people, even in time, that can be used to minister to God's people in the future. And so I want to show you in today's text three things that are part of this legacy that Moses is seeking to leave for the people coming behind him in the nation of Israel. And I think there are things that we can learn as we have opportunity to either lead people ourselves or to be led by Christian leaders in different capacities. And so the first thing, and it's more a person than a thing, uh, that Moses, we see him leaving behind him here is Another leader. And these are all going to start with L. There's going to be three of them. Uh, But the first one that's part of his legacy is that Moses is leaving behind another actual leader. A human leader to follow him. Right? Uh, We learned right at the beginning of the text. Moses is about to die. Right? Verse Two, Moses says, I'm 120 years old today and no longer able to go out and come in. Uh, we actually learned later in Deuteronomy, he still had his health. He, he still, it's not as if he was incapable of this physically, but he knows my life is about to end because God has told me my life is about to end. And he is told there that he shall not go over the Jordan River, he's not going into the promised land. And I want you to imagine. Being an Israelite, hearing this again, they, they knew this, but they hear Moses saying this, I'm not going with you all. And think about who's saying that, and what he's done, what he's been, what he's meant to these people, and to hear, I'm not going. Like I, I, w- I went up on Mount Sinai, I was the one who the Lord used to part the Red Sea, I, I've been the one who's taught us, I've been the one who's led us, I've been the one who's handled these complicated cases for 40 years now, but I'm not going in. And imagine the effect that that would have had for them. How, think just in your own life, in your own experience. How many organizations, groups, churches, companies, clubs fail once the person who was the primary leader leaves the scene? How many times do those stay together? It's rare, right? There's, there's a tendency when the, uh, a prominent person leaves for that thing to collapse. Moses is about to die, but he seeks to reassure them. Uh, He seeks to to console them, right? You see in verse uh, 3, his first way he tries to console them, give them comfort as he looks to the future and them being without him, is to remind them that God will never leave them. He's saying, I'm going to be gone. I'm not going into the land, but he says, God will be with you. Verse 3, right? He says, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. And then he says the things God will do. He will destroy the nations before you. The Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, these kings they already beat. The Lord will give them over to you. Uh, he, he's saying all these things. He will never leave you. He will not leave you or forsake you, right? He, he's trying to give them consolation to say, I'm not going to be with you, but God will be with you take courage take heart from that be strong and courageous that language comes in here that gets picked up in joshua even in his mouth in joshua 1 where we most know it from he heard it here this be strong and courageous because god will be with you that's what moses wants them to know first but he also reassures them doesn't he by letting them know they're going to have a human leader as well right? He, he doesn't just say, God's with you, you guys will figure it out, it's kind of just going to be random and chaotic, but he lets them know Joshua is going to go over at your head, like he's going to be the one that the Lord uses, humanly speaking, to be your new leader, right? That, that's what he says, verse 3, uh, that uh, the Lord himself will go before you, he'll destroy these nations, but he ends verse 3 saying, and Joshua will go over at your head, as the lord has spoken and this would have been vital for them to hear right as human beings god made us to be led by other human beings right from the very beginning that's how god made us is not purely merely to be led by god himself but to be cared for and led by fellow human beings who he entrusts with headship and leadership authority in our lives that is how we were made that is what we crave as human beings whether we acknowledge it or not so he reassures them saying god will be with you but a human leader will be with you as well. Someone that you can look to, someone that you can follow. And this is a glorious thing to think about is that Joshua, this man who we start to learn more about here, was not just a last minute afterthought by Moses, like where Moses is like, oh no, like I'm, I, the Jordan's right there, I can't go over, I gotta figure out somebody to, to entrust these people to, uh, okay, Joshua, like yeah, we'll have you do it. Like that is not, when you read through these first five books of the Bible, that's not at all what happened. Like you see that Joshua has been developed. Joshua has been proven over decades now. Right? And we could miss it because it's never given like, full attention in the scriptures. But there's these examples throughout these first several books of the Bible that you maybe have even missed before. I think I had missed before. You go back to the time of the Exodus. Read Exodus 17. After they've crossed the Red Sea, before they ever even get to Mount Sinai, they have to fight. Uh, and Joshua is the one who's leading that fight, even then. Right after they've led, uh, been freed from Egypt. Read Exodus 17. At Sinai, at Mount Sinai, when Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the law of God, guess who was with him? Joshua was with him. Like read Exodus 24. Like Joshua went with him up on the mountain Uh, when they this is a more famous story of Joshua when they sent those spies into the land initially that first generation to go spy out the land of Canaan and see can we take these people can we beat them they sent these twelve spies in and there was only two that brought back good reports it was Caleb and Joshua he had been a spy and had faith in the Lord that yeah these people are huge but God can give us victory uh, he had had faith in. In the book of Numbers, there's two statements about the, about Joshua that, that stand out to me. You read Numbers 11:28 that uh, says that Joshua was a. This is a quote. An assistant to Moses from his youth. That he had been an assistant to him not just at this last moment, but from his youth. And then in Numbers 27:18 it says that Joshua was a man in whom is the spirit. So, Joshua is not just this unproven, unknown guy who Moses just ropes in last minute. He had been tested, he had been developed, he had been proven, he had been in, uh, just. Uh, invested in by Moses for quite some time. And just by way of application, I, I would encourage us not just as pastors, but anybody who's entrusted with leadership of any capacity whether within your home or within the church or even in the workplace, marketplace society, we should be always seeking to develop future leaders. Not just seek to lead well ourselves the, in the media at the time being but seeing who are people coming behind me. Who are people that I could start to teach, that I could start to develop to, to take on these responsibilities themselves we shouldn't just wait till we get to the end of our race and leave time to leave our post and then just look around and think oh who can do this no we should be looking always to think who can do this who might the lord raise up to do this or other things that we should look beyond our own lifetime, look beyond our own tenure in whatever role God has given us. And then we should start to show those people how to do those things, right? It's not like he just shoulder tapped Joshua and said, I'll get back with you at the Jordan River uh, and we'll figure out stuff then. Like he was with him all the time. Like he was showing him things, teaching him things, having conversations with him. And we, as we train up leaders, should share responsibility with them, that we don't, I have to learn this. Don't always just do the things. Delegate the things. Help people learn how to do them themselves. That is a vital part of a godly leadership of any group of God's people. And I appreciate as this new leader is raised up and identified, Joshua, who's going to lead them into the promised land, I appreciate that he's he's personally addressed twice in this text first he's addressed publicly by moses and then he's addressed privately by god himself i don't know if you noticed that Uh, but moses addresses joshua publicly in verses seven and eight so the text today starts the first six verses moses speaking to the nation of israel saying hey joshua's gonna go in at the head like you all know that right like this is the guy he's gonna go in but then in front of the whole nation of israel Uh, it says verse 7 Moses summoned Joshua like hey Joshua come up here He, he summons him and said to him in the sight of all Israel Be strong and courageous, for you shall go. And then he goes on and gives him these directions. He is publicly putting on display, so there's no question that all the nation sees this is the man who God has raised up to lead us. And he, he celebrates him, he commissions him, even in front of the whole nation. So Moses addresses him publicly, which should teach us, as we have people coming behind us, as we have people that we're developing and training, is to publicly celebrate them. Like, not view them as threats, not view them as people whose skills or abilities you need to keep hidden, because they might cast a shadow over you, but to celebrate them publicly, to honor them, to encourage them publicly even, as they are coming alongside you and behind you. They are gifts, they're not threats right and moses clearly viewed joshua that way so he addresses joshua publicly then god addresses joshua privately down later in the text as joshua and moses are summoned to that tent of meeting if you look down in verse 23 the lord speaks directly to joshua it says that the lord commissioned joshua the son of Nun, and said again these same words be strong and courageous you will bring the people of israel into the land. And so Moses is publicly commending him, commissioning him, and then God privately is addressing him, telling him, Be strong, Joshua, be courageous, right? And side note, I don't have time to explain every verse in here. If I'm down in verse 23, that time frame, hearing that from God, like be strong and courageous, I would need to hear that because if you just heard what he just heard, like the verses coming before it, where God, he had heard, because it's just God, Moses, and Joshua, and God is telling Moses, he's confirming Moses' suspicions, like these people are going to tank, like they're going to rebel, I'm going to judge them, and Joshua has just heard that. Like, and you're going to go lead them. Like, good luck with that. Like, kudos to you, Joshua. He would have needed to hear from God Not just from Moses, like be strong, like be courageous. Like I have placed you here to lead these people. And this is vital for us as we think about leaders and developing them, encouraging them, is that leaders don't just need public affirmation of other leaders, they need private engagement with God if they're gonna minister well. They need to be ministered to by God if they're gonna minister to God's people well, right? There's not just public ministry, but public ministry is fueled by private fellowship with God. It always has been, always will be. And so part of Moses' legacy is leading a leader, someone to follow behind him. But two more things that he leaves as part of his legacy that we see even here in Deuteronomy 31. The second one is, is I want you to see that he doesn't just leave a human leader as if that's the end-all, be-all. But second part of his legacy is that he leaves them the law right like he he doesn't just want a person for them to follow he wants a book for them to follow right like god's people human beings in general aren't just made to be led by humans to do whatever they want to think whatever they think is wise to command whatever they think needs to be done moses knew that the the people of god didn't just need a person to inspire them but they needed instructions to guide them right that they needed some rails they needed some direction they needed not just a charismatic powerful person to follow but they needed di- a divine word right like not just a human leader but a divine word and moses in this text and it's been really the spirit of deuteronomy throughout but you see it in this text specifically that he is entrusting the law of god to the levites and to the pre- to the elders uh, it, it, you see it in two chunks here. You see it like in verse 9. It says that Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi who carried the Ark of the Covenant and to all the elders. Right. So he, he gives that law to them. And then if you look down in verses 25 and 26, he comes back around. Or Actually, if you start even at verse 24, it says, When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, he commanded the Levites who carried the ark of the covenant and he told them to take that book put it next to the ark of the covenant that it would be a witness there against them or for, uh, for or against them right Uh, So he has told them that the law should be kept, like physical, like a copy of it should be kept, right? Uh, He has told them in verse 10 and 11 that this law was supposed to be read, not just kept in a box or next to a box, but that it was supposed to be read at minimum every seven years, that it was to be read as they came together for that feast of booths. Verse 10 says, and we hear that all of God's people were supposed to be there to hear it, right? That this law, this words of God wasn't just for the elite. It wasn't just for the priests. It wasn't just for Joshua. It wasn't just for the people that people may have been tempted to think like, they're the special ones who need to hear from God. It was for all of God's people. Like Moses wanted them from the get-go to know, you need the law of God. All of you, all of us need it. You need to keep it physically. You need to hear it. You need to read it. You need to do it, right? The word was not just for certain elites, but it was for all of God's people, and that is true even to this day. But in giving them the law, giving them this written word of God that he has now spent 30 chapters uh, saying again to them, Moses' heart is not just that they would follow the law or not just that they would even learn to follow Joshua but his hope his aim in entrusting the law to them it says in verse 13 is that they would learn to fear the Lord your God Right, as long as you live. That is his ultimate aim in giving them the law. That's the legacy he wants to leave to them as they hear this law read again and again and again. is isn't just that they would toe the line and do what Joshua says or do what good Israelites do, but that they would love God, like that they would actually fear him and obey him and treasure him. That is what his hope is, right? Not just to follow a leader, a human leader, but to fear and to follow God. And as we think about leading things ourselves or training future leaders, it is vital for us, and this is not as common as we may like it to be today, it is vital that we raise up future leaders and that we raise up even followers, so to speak, who know that the human leader is accountable to a higher authority than himself. Right? like when people are given authority they are not they don't have an end all be all just warrant to do and say whatever they want there is a human leader given yes but there is a law of god that guides that that puts boundaries that prescribes things that tells us what our priorities are to be humans don't just get to determine that ourselves and just say well we need to do this and we should we should do this and we should stop doing that we do what god has told us to do and we don't do what god has told us to not do and i don't care who tells you otherwise if they say something that contradicts the word of God, we are not to follow it. I don't care who they are. If I tell you stuff, if our pastors tell you things that don't correspond with what God has already said, do not do it. Like, do not believe it. Like, God doesn't just give you human leaders. He gives you human leaders who teach you what he has already said. That, that is essential as we are following leaders, as we are training up leaders, as we are never to just blindly follow people as if just because of the role in their life, the position that they hold, that I must do and believe everything they say, that is dangerous, that, that can breed such harm in people's lives and in lives of churches and organizations we should train people, we should model for people that everything we say, everything we teach, everything we call other people to do must be subjected to the word of God, the unchanging word of God. We are a people, as Christians, we are, as, as people say, we are a people of the book. We are not a cult of personality, right? Like we, we don't just follow people naively, blindly. We follow people who teach us God's word like who say what he says after him right i so appreciate it. We're, we're seeking and we're recommending as pastors that we update our church's statement of faith uh i wanted to read one little quote for you in, in this subject uh, about this subject that i hope you find encouraging as just a little sample of this new statement of faith i appreciate this statement uh, in that statement of faith that we're recommending it says scripture alone Hear that, scripture alone is our supreme and final authority and the rule of faith and life. The scriptures must not be added to or taken away from and all creeds, confessions, teachings, and prophecies are to be tested by the final authority of God's word. Not by a pastor or whoever, but they are to be subjected to the word of God. And we, we must believe that as we raise up, as we follow leaders in our life, is that we are people of the book. And we should lead in such a way that demonstrates we believe that, right? If you're entrusted with leadership of God's people in any capacity, you should try to help them learn to have a loyalty to God's word that is stronger than their loyalty even to you if that makes sense, that when they ask you questions about what you believe, you take their questions seriously and you don't just say, well, that's, that's what's right, that's obvious, like just believe it because I said it, just do it because I said it, you should have disagreement and and answer questions with Bibles open, right? And say, brother, sister, this is where I see this. This is what God has said. We don't just assert authority without opening the authority that God has given to us. And so we should model humility as questions are asked of us, as discussions are had, as disagreements arise. Uh, We should not just make assertions and just tell people what I believe, but we should ask questions and come to the Bible together to see what God has said. That is vital for us because we think about our own leadership as we seek to think of the leaders coming behind us is that we don't just find charismatic strong influential people but that we find people who are governed by the book and who are going to love god's people and tell them what god has said not just what they think right that, that's on the heart of moses here it's not just here's joshua but here's joshua here is god's law here's god's word like follow him in as much as he calls you to follow what god has said The third part of the legacy, the final part of the legacy that Moses is seeking to leave to the people of Israel is kind of a surprising one, and there will be more on this next week. Um, But the first two are are kind of maybe expected. Hey, you need a human leader to follow, and God's given us a book to follow. He's spoken, and we listen to him in his word. The third thing you see in this text, and you'll see it more thoroughly in chapter 32, is that Moses leaves a legacy of a song. I which i'll just label lyrics like of the this song and the actual lyrics will be next sunday pastor larry gets to to preach on that text next sunday where the lyrics of this song come in but you probably saw moses uh it this it references this song that he's about that he wrote uh that he's about to teach to them i was thinking this is kind of like what we read here before all the lyrics come in chapter 32, what we read here is kind of like the commentary to prep you to hear the song, to prep you to hear uh, the the content of the song. It's kind of like, Back in the day when there was like CDs and albums and whatnot, there were these things called liner notes. Do you all remember these? Like when there'd be like a little insert you could pull out, and before you listen to it or as you're about to listen to it, it'd have like commentary from the one who wrote it, or this is the story behind this song, or this is what this is for, this is the person who did this. It was just these comments to prepare you to hear the songs. Uh, The comments in 31 about the song aren't the song itself, but they're kind of to prepare you to hear the song, which you'll get to hear next Sunday. Um, But this song is fascinating. As we come up closer to it next week, we get a glimpse in today's text of what it was for, what it was to be about. And it's kind of strange to us. It's not how we would typically think of a song or lyrics of a song and the role that they should play. Because... God makes clear to Moses, and Moses makes clear to the people, that this song, you can see it like in verse 19, is to be a witness against the people of Israel. Like He he says, verse 19, Now therefore, write this song, teach it to the people of Israel, put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me, God speaking, against the people of Israel. And that's when he then gives the preview of how they're going to royally mess this up. But he's saying this song you're about to teach them is to be a witness against them. It's supposed to be in their minds and hearts, and it's going to be a witness against them. And verse 21 even says it will be the lyrics of this song will confront them as a witness. Right? It's not just to inspire them, but it's to confront them. In verse 21, he also says this fascinating phrase that the lyrics of this song will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. That is a fascinating phrase. Music has this effect on us of being kind of like a, an earworm. Have you ever heard of this? Like where does songs just get stuck in your head and they'll like pop into your mind randomly even when you're decades beyond and you've long since forgotten them. Uh, this song, he's about to give them the lyrics that was supposed to even be like a generational earworm that was supposed to just get into the people of Israel, get stuck in their minds and hearts that they just knew from the time they're little, the words of this song. And it has staying power, this song. If you want to question the staying power of this song, if it doesn't, when you hear it next week, it doesn't seem like it is memorable to you. This song is referenced in the book of Revelation. Revelation 15, like John hears people singing the song of Moses in Revelation 15, like in the future, even from now, like at the end of time. This song was intended to stay. It was supposed to have this effect that was ongoing. And Moses knew the power of song, like he wrote Psalm 90, as best as we can tell, right? When you go back to the Exodus, when they, the Red Sea was parted, they go across Guess what they did when they got to the other side? They sang a song, right? Like, they, he knew the power of song, and so through him, God is giving them this song to be stuck in their mind, to, to even confront them and hopefully call them to repentance when they remember that song and they, they think back as they've gotten deep into sin and their sin into exile. God's hope, his aim is that they would hear this song and know, yeah, like, God has known this all along but God still is merciful toward us. He's still willing to extend grace to us. It's a witness against them that yes, you've sinned and there's consequence, but it would also be a reminder to them that God is sovereign over all of this. Like he's known it's all coming and he's still born with us. He's still willing to show grace to us, right? Music's purpose, I'm not gonna get on a large, I don't even have time to do a large rabbit trail of this, but music has purpose beyond just the momentary time that you sing it. Right? Often we just think of music's point as me, in the moment, getting to express something, getting to say something to God or to express something to people I love, those types of things. This text shows us music has a long shelf life. Like it, has a, it plays the long game in our lives where God gives us music to embed things in us that we recall months from now, years from now, decades from now. And it's vital that we think carefully about what we sing right? As we think about developing the people coming behind us in a church, in a family, in a group that we're part of, we should think about what we teach them to sing, right? Like that, that the words that we put into their mouths, to use today's text, have an effect on them the rest of their life, whether they realize it or not. There's truths that are taught to them, there's things that are shown to them that affect us, that change us. And I would say this, that If you want to think of it this way, we don't really use songbooks or hymnals much anymore, but a church's songbook today, I think, essentially becomes its statement of faith next generation. Like the things that we teach, if we just sing shallow, flimsy songs that embed bad theology into us, guess what we're going to slowly start to believe? It's those things. But when we plant deep truths about God that are, that are, are soul-stirring, that are, are hope-inspiring, that are pointing to the cross, those things are going to be in our minds and hearts, and those things are going to become what we slowly believe and remember over time. It, that's why we have our kids, even the preschoolers, stay in here with us to sing most Sundays, is that, that we want them to hear what we sing together as the people of God. As we get to the end of today's text, I, I think it, if you're anything like me, you read the end of this of today's text, that last paragraph, and it can feel like, what is the point of trying to leave a legacy? Like Moses is like almost despairing. It feels like at the end of this text, like if you've been this way now, what's going to happen after I die? That type of thing. He's like almost despairing uh, in the moment as he's heard this, as he's sharing it with the people of God, uh, because his suspicions about what Israel's future is like have now been confirmed by God. They're at the tent of meeting like, yep, you're right. Like this is gonna happen. This is gonna unfold this way. Moses says, even in verse 29, he says, I know after my death you will act corruptly and turn aside. It's not even speculation. He knows it. And as I was reading these, some of these final words of Moses, I couldn't help but the contrast with the final words of Jesus as he's coming near to his death. When he knew when he was about to die, right? Uh, the last night he was with his disciples, he was not pessimistic about the future, right? He knew it would be hard. Like he knew suffering would come, but it was not this bleak picture like Moses is painting here. Jesus had optimism. You read the book of John, John 14, 13. Jesus said this. Compare it to what we just heard Moses say, and hear Jesus' words to his disciples as he's about to go to the cross, as he's about to die. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That is so different from how Moses speaks, right? Like Moses is like, we kind of held it together. Now guys, I'm gonna die. You're gonna mess it up. It's gonna be terrible. Jesus Jesus is saying, I'm about to die. You are gonna do better things, greater things than me. Right? Like Jesus has optimism that something's going to be different now. like not when I die, when I leave that it's all just going to uh, just blow away and be nothing and everybody's going to fizzle. He has confidence somehow that something's going to be different now. The legacy that he's going to leave is different from Moses' legacy like where it was just law-keeping and coldness that could not really change people. He knows my disciples are going to be different. Like my disciples are actually going to be changed. They're going to follow God. They're even going to do greater things than I when I have left. And think of why he can say that. The contrast between Moses here in Deuteronomy 31 and Jesus and John 14. A couple quick things and I'll be done. Moses, as he died, was being left behind right, outside of Canaan, Jesus in that verse said that he was going before them into heaven, right, that is a fundamental difference, like Moses was being left behind, Jesus is going ahead, like Jesus is going into the new place where God's people need to go, Moses is being held out of it, right, Moses was succumbing to death, right, Jesus was about to conquer it, like those are Infinitely different things. Like, Moses was succumbing to it. Jesus was conquering it. Like, Moses' death was 100% loss, right? It accomplished, really, spiritually, nothing. Like, his death, if anything, brought despair, right, and loss. Jesus' death was actually going to do something. Like his death was going to accomplish something, right? Because like we celebrate in communion, he was establishing with his blood, with his death, a new covenant. Like a new way that God would deal people and it was purchased by Jesus by his death. He was doing something in his death. He was gaining us By dying in our place, he was gaining us forgiveness. He was gaining us eternal life. He was gaining us the blessing and favor of God the Father. He was buying our adoption. He was buying the gifts, spiritual gifts that we would receive. He was buying our resurrection. He was buying all of these things in his death. And Moses had taught people how to make sacrifices. Jesus was becoming a sacrifice, right? He was offering himself as a sacrifice. For us Moses was leaving his followers with the law of God in a box a special box but in a box on stone tablets right or on scrolls that longer book of the Covenant Jesus was going to leave and then to write the law on the hearts of his people right not just in a box cold somewhere but he was going to write it on the hearts of his people Moses was leaving his followers with a song that would condemn them, that would be a witness against them, because that's what the law can do is serve as a witness against you. Jesus was commissioning his people. He was giving them songs. He was leaving them with a song that would, would bring joy, would bring hope, would bring forgiveness, songs that they could sing to themselves to remind them of eternal life and the freedom that was bought for them, not just the guilt that they had incurred for themselves, Right? Jesus, uh, Moses was leaving his followers. The best he could give by God's revelation at the time was these conditional promises. If you obey, blessing. Jesus, in this new covenant, he was starting, the reason he could be optimistic is because he was offering entrance into an unconditional covenant, like where you come into it and it's not conditioned upon you being good and you keeping law, but God's favor has been gained for you. And the last difference is Moses was sending his followers on into Canaan. Yes, with, the, with God living among them in the tabernacle, uh, in the center of their camp, Jesus was going to send his followers out, and he knew this. Not just with God among them, but God in them by the Holy Spirit. He knew they were going to be different. They were going to be changed when they became part of this new covenant. Those are the reasons Jesus could speak with such confidence. He had optimism as Moses had pessimism. Right? He had hope as he went to death as Moses had despair right? He he knew that on the other side of death, he was establishing a new covenant, that he was going to be raised to never die again, that he was going before us into heaven and someday would bring heaven to us. Jesus knew all of this, and he faced death with hope and courage, and that is a much better legacy that he left than Moses. Moses did his best, but he has left us a legacy of hope and forgiveness and healing and, and eternal life and forgiveness of sin. He has given us leaders. He He has given us a book to follow he has given us sweet songs to sing in our hearts as our true final ultimate leader who will never die again right Moses died Joshua died Peter died Paul died I will die you will die Jesus has died and will not die again like he has gained us a new covenant he has left a legacy that is unique and he invites us to share that legacy with those who are coming behind us and that psalm, Psalm 90, that Moses wrote, uh, he, he ended that psalm that we started with by asking God, establish the work of our hands. Three times at the end of that psalm, he says, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. And I kept, can't help but think as he got to the end of his life, he may have been tempted to think, like, what are you gonna do like I've I've put my work into this like please establish it but he knows there's gonna it's just gonna fall apart but we can pray prayers like that, establish the work of my hands with confidence and hope because of what Jesus has done, that our feeble efforts, our failures as dads or as parents or as pastors or as disciples or leaders, we have failures. We have things, our, our efforts are puny, they're faulty, um, but they are efforts, hopefully, to leave a legacy to the people coming behind us, and we can pray with confidence that God will establish the work of our hands. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing another song. Thank you for listening a little long. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll sing a closing song. Father in heaven, thank you for those who have come before us in our church, but even beyond the existence of our church life. Thank you for those men and women who have passed down the good news and time to us. Thank you for the legacy they have left of faith, of pointing us to Jesus. We pray that we would be faithful stewards and that we would leave a legacy of faith, that we would have eyes beyond our own lifetime, eyes beyond our own tenure in whatever roles we have, but that we would be active in the here and now, that we would number our days and have a heart of wisdom, and that we would look beyond ourselves to invest in the people coming behind us to serve as faithful leaders to point them to your word and to put sweet songs into their mouths and hearts that remind them of your son. And we pray this in his name.